Sit back. What NFC East quarterback? Relax. In the movie Ocean's Eleven. Put on your think cap. What prized possession did Danny Ocean get ready for the show? In chemistry, what is the name of the principal? And here's your host. During what year was the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Kevin. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Think Cap Trivia Podcast. My name's Kevin, and it's my pleasure to be your host. For those of you tuning in for the first time, let me go over how this podcast is structured. At the beginning of the show, I will pose a couple of trivia questions to you and then give you a few moments to think about your answers. And then I'm going to go through each question one by one, and I'll give you the answer and the history or the data or fun facts to flush out that answer a little bit. So this isn't your standard trivia outfit that is just going to give you the question and then an answer. I'm going to give you a brief breakdown that will hopefully keep you entertained while also teaching you a little bit along the way. My goal is that by listening to ThinkCap, you will be able to gain knowledge about not just a single question, but about different details surrounding that question. And this is a general trivia show, so you might get some sports, you might get some movies, you might get some history, you might get a movie about a historical moment in sports, you never know what you're going to get. Um, If you're a fan of the show, I ask that you would please recommend the show to a friend or to a fellow trivia lover. Um, Getting the word out there about ThinkCap really helps my ability to grow and to produce more content for you. So with that being said, let me once again welcome you to ThinkCap, and let's get this show started. All right, once again, I've got a couple different questions for you today. What I'm going to do is read each question, give you a couple moments to think about each one, and then I'm going to go through and break down each question one by one. So sit back and relax, and let me read these questions for you. Question number one. What famous beverage is famously known as the Uncola? Once again, what famous beverage is famously known as the Uncola? Question number two. What was Billboard's top single of the 1960s? Once again, what was Billboard's top single of the 1960s? Question number three. What is the oldest known vegetable? Once again, what is the oldest known vegetable? Question number four, in what coastal European country was gin invented? Once again, in what coastal European country was gin invented? Question number five, what country was the first to allow all women to vote in 1893? Once again, what country was the first to allow all women to vote in 1893? Question number six. In Chinese tradition, when a carp tediously swims up the rapids of the Yellow River, what will it evolve into upon passing the gate at the top? Once again, in Chinese tradition, when a carp tediously swims up the rapids of the Yellow River, What will it evolve into upon passing the gate at the top? Question number seven. 
Native to many African countries, what animal has the highest blood pressure? Once again, native to many African countries, what animal has the highest blood pressure? Question number eight. What is the longest running show in Broadway history? Once again, what is the longest running show in Broadway history? Question number nine. What famous landmark has a hand that is 14 feet long? Once again, what famous landmark has a hand that's 14 feet long? And question number 10, this is our last one this week. Who is the first athlete to have their own animated cartoon series? Once again, who was the first athlete to have their own animated cartoon series? All right, so now that I've read all 10 questions for you and I've given you a couple moments to think about each one, as I said, I'm going to go through, read each question for you one by one and give you a, the answer and some fun facts behind that answer. So let's uh, loop all the way back around to question number one which was, what beverage is famously known as the Uncola? And your correct answer is 7-Up. 7-Up is the right answer. 7-Up is a lemon-lime flavored soda that entered the soft drink market in 1929. The beverage was created by Charles Leiper Grigg, originally as Bib Label Lithinated Lemon Lime Soda before the name was eventually changed to just 7-Up. Again, Bib Label Lithinated Lemon Lime Soda was the original name. 7-Up's a little bit easier, and there's multiple theories as to how the name came to be and what 7-Up actually means. One plausible guess is that the drink had seven ingredients, carbonated water, sugar, citric acid, lithium citrate, sodium citrate and essence of lemon and lime oils and the bubbles flowed upwards hence the up one other theory says that the phrase seven up consisting of seven letters and the original bottle had a volume of seven ounces so that's uh one that's a little bit more heavy on the seven it's a little bit deeper but regardless of how it got its name as it grew in popularity it had to go up against the giant in the industry coca-cola which had been around since the late 1800s. They toyed with many different marketing techniques and slogans over the years, including nothing does it like 7-Up, and they even touted that the beverage had health benefits and was a hangover cure. But uh, eventually, it kind of just lost some steam and it began losing sales around the 1960s. It was at this time that the company decided that it had to make a distinct move to separate itself from the ever-popular cola drinks on the market. The brand decided that they would try to align themselves with America's growing counterculture that was popular in the post-Vietnam War 60s and 70s by using psychedelic artwork and hip imaging in its advertising along with the bold new tagline, the Uncola. The first ad featuring the new slogan appeared in 1968 and was focused around puns using the term un to really drive home that the drink was an alternative brand for alternative people and it really did resonate with the counterculture they they absolutely nailed it in 1969 
they held a contest for young artists to come up with imaginative designs for their product with the winner receiving $2,000 and the opportunity to work with 7up's marketing team on the final versions of the ads. With this, they were able to garner a ton of great ideas from the campaign and soon billboards for the soft drink with fun, hip, psychedelic art started popping up all over the country. And like I said, the ads resonated with an entire generation of younger Americans who began to favor the drink and of course boost its sales. And obviously those um, younger Americans are now middle-aged to older Americans, so the uh, slogan is obviously still popular and the Uncola campaign is was just extremely successful as I'm sure many of you actually got the question correct which again just goes to show how synonymous the term has become with the popular lemon lime soda and how successful the campaign was. Question number two was what was Billboard's top single of the 1960s? And your correct answer is the Beatles Hey Jude. Hey Jude is the right answer. And unsurprisingly, Hey Jude also has the distinction of being the top-selling single from the year 1968. Hey Jude was the Beatles' number one hit song that spent the longest on the charts. It reached number one on September 28th of 1968 and spent 19 whole weeks on the charts. The second longest number one hit that the Beatles had was Come Together, which reached number one on November 29th of 1969 and was uh, sitting at number one for 16 weeks. In all, the Beatles have had 20 number one hits and 34 top 10 hits on the Billboard chart. I mean, it's it's no surprise to anybody that the, the Beatles were wildly successful. Um, the tune also is, this is, can be a, a little piece of trivia to have in your back pocket, Hey Jude was the first number one song ever on Billboard to be over seven minutes long. It also was written by Paul McCartney originally for John Lennon's son Julian as his parents were going through a divorce. The original title was Hey Jules. And eventually the band recorded it as Hey Jude, um, put it out there as a single, and it rocketed right up the charts and stayed there as the band was clearly wildly successful. And Hey Jude is still a great anthem even to this day. Question number three was, what is the oldest known vegetable? And your correct answer is the pea. The pea is the right answer. The oldest known vegetable was determined to be the pea because it was found in Stone Age settlements dating back to 8,000 to 10,000 years ago. Humans have cultivated vegetables heavily over the entire uh, existence of mankind, but the vegetables eaten in prehistoric times differed a lot from the ones that we consume today. And obviously there have been tons of different plants to grow and be eaten by early humans, but based on the information we have, it can be said that the pea is the earliest one that we have proof that men would eat. So again, another good trivia question to have in your back pocket in case you get ever get asked this one at a pub trivia night. The pea is the first modern, oldest known vegetable that we know of. Question number four was, in what coastal European country was gin invented? And your correct answer 
is the Netherlands or Holland. Netherlands, Holland, it's, it's all the same thing. Um, the inventor is widely thought to be a Dutch physician who went by the name of Franciscus Silvius, who used it for medicinal purposes back in the year 1550. It was developed based on the earlier drink called Jennifer, which is a traditional juniper-flavored national spirit of Belgium and the Netherlands. Jennifer was originally produced by the distillation of malt wine and with the herbs that were added to mask the strong flavor of that, that malt wine. Juniper berries were chosen for the flavoring because they had alleged medicinal effects. Now, the soldiers who were fighting in the Low Countries during the Thirty Years' War relied on Dutch courage, as it's known in the form of a warming shot of gin. The alcoholic spirit would calm their nerves and make them feel better while they battled in the cold and damp weather. Now, I should have mentioned this, these are the British troops. Uh, those British troops brought it back with them, and it became quite popular in Great Britain, which is now the country most closely associated with the spirit. By the year 1730, London had over 7,000 shops that sold only spirits, and alcohol abuse was becoming a major problem for the poor, and the streets of London were just riddled with drunken people running around. Um, in order to solve this problem, the Gin Act was introduced in 1736, which made gin very expensive to prohibit uh, the poorer people from having access to it, and this was a bad idea as it just made those people angry and riots broke out and the law was blatantly disregarded in the way that many prohibition type laws are. So distillers stopped getting their official licenses, but they didn't stop producing gin. Um, in 1742, it was recognized that the Gin Act was unenforceable and it was repealed. Instead, a different policy with reasonably high prices and licensed retailers um, was introduced. So that, that's kind of where we're at now. And these changes made the production of gin, though, still a more high-quality business, and many respectable firms were established as a result. And as the gin process became more refined, the drink evolved to become more sophisticated, to balance the flavors, which we still feel today. And it's now, I mean, I, gin and tonic is a fantastic drink. It's associated really with high-end cocktails of luxurious dinner parties. It's used in a number of mixed drinks, including the Pimm's Cup, the Tom Collins, the White Lady, and of course your classic martini, all used gin, which was invented in what is now the Netherlands. Alright, and that brings us to question number five, which was, what country was the first to allow all women to vote in the year 1893? And your correct answer to that one is New Zealand. New Zealand is your right answer. This monumental moment for women's suffrage occurred on September 19th of, like I said, 1893, when Governor Lord Glasgow signed the new Electoral Act into law. That achievement was the result of years of effort by suffrage campaigners led by Kate Shepard. The suffrage campaign in New Zealand began as a far-flung branch of the late 19th century movement for women's rights that spread through Britain and its colonies, the United States, and Northern Europe. The movement was shaped by two big main themes, equal political rights for women, 
and the determination to use them for moral reform of society. Um, New Zealand's pioneering suffragists were both inspired by the equal rights arguments of philosopher John Stuart Mill and British feminists and by the missionary efforts of the American-based Women's Christian Temperance Union. Opposition to women's voting rights claimed that more women would support prohibition as a result of uh, anti-suffrage activist, I guess is the right word, Henry Smith Fish, because he used to spread that propaganda in pubs in order to sway his fellow barmen's opinions on women. He would say that if the women were voting, they would pretty much, he would go into bars and say, they will get rid of your booze, which I'm sure the men in the bars did not like. But um, once the bill was signed and women could vote, the suffrage opposers warned that delicate lady voters, as they said, would be jostled and harassed in polling booths by all of the half-drunken men. Um, but in fact, the 1893 election was described as the best conducted and most orderly ever held. So it wasn't a problem, as as you now know. Um, women voting is it's silly to even think about it being an issue. And New Zealand became an example for the rest of the world, as we undoubtedly know it's kind of crazy to imagine a world where people genuinely believed that it was a bad idea. Can't even imagine that in this day and age. But um, yeah, nowadays women are productive members of the political world and are able to be productive voters to help guide the future of our world. All right, question number six. The question was, in Chinese tradition, when a carp tediously swims up the rapids of the Yellow River, what will it evolve into upon passing the gate at the top? And your correct answer it will evolve into a great dragon. A dragon is the right answer. In fact, the gate at the top is known as the Dragon's Gate, and it's located at the top of a waterfall which cascades down from their legendary mountain. Tradition says that many carp swim upstream against the river's strong current, but few are capable or brave enough to make that final leap over the waterfall. But once one successfully makes the jump, it is transformed into a powerful dragon. The image of a carp jumping over the dragon's gate is an old Chinese cultural symbol for courage, perseverance, and accomplishment. Now, the Chinese dragon has long been a symbol of great and benevolent magical power. Uh, Chinese dragon's large scales indicate its origin from a carp, traditionally, and you know, this is a fun one. If you're a fan of Pokemon, you might recognize a similar transformation from the popular games and television show. I'll let you think about it for a second. In the Pokemon universe, Magikarp is pretty much the weakest Pokemon and is categorically useless. Um, but if you're able to persevere enough and train it in just the right way, it will evolve into Gyarados, which is a large, powerful dragon modeled after the traditional Chinese serpentine dragons of old. So that's a, a fun little uh, connection to that one. And next time you or a younger cousin or someone else is playing Pokemon and has a Magikarp or Dr Gyarados out there, you can tell them about the origins of that great story. All right, question number seven now was, native to many African countries, what animal has the highest blood pressure and your correct answer 
is the giraffe. The giraffe has the highest blood pressure. Now, this one makes some sense when you think about it. The tallest animal on the planet's heart will naturally need to work extra hard in order to pump blood all the way up to its head. A giraffe's blood pressure is typically about 280-180 millimeters of mercury, which is about double that of humans. And as an aside, millimeters of mercury is a unit of pressure that is equal to the pressure exerted by a column of mercury one millimeter high at zero degrees Celsius. But any anyway, it's, it's logical to think that a giraffe would have a really large heart to aid in this, and that would absolutely be correct. The animal's heart can be two feet long and weigh up to 25 pounds. The heart's right ventricle pump uh, pumps blood a short distance to the lungs, and the muscle in this part of the heart is only about a centimeter thick, but the left ventricle has to pump the blood all the way up to the head against the hydrostatic pressure of the blood already in that long artery up to the uh, animal's brain. And this portion of the heart has evolved to have a real thick muscle wall, which gives it the power to overcome the pressure. The thickness of this muscle wall, too, is almost related directly to the length of the animal's neck, which makes perfect sense. Um, approximately for every 15 centimeters increase in the length of the neck, the left ventricle wall adds another half centimeter of thickness. So, yeah, this is another fun fact about Earth's tallest animal. And actually, if you want to learn a couple more fun trivia facts about drafts, um, you can recall I talked a little bit about them back in episode 11, question number 9. Question number 8. What is the longest running show in Broadway history? And your correct answer is Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera is the longest running show in Broadway history. It officially opened on January 26th of 1988 in the United States, but the show is actually a British musical that was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber based on the French 1910 novel of the same name by Gasson Leroux. The show tells the story of a young soprano who becomes the object of obsession of a disfigured musical genius in Paris. The musical won seven 1988 Tony Awards, including the prize of Best Musical. New York Times critic Frank Rich said of its opening performance at the time, quote, it may be possible to have a terrible time at Phantom of the Opera, but you'll have to really work at it. So essentially, critics thought it was stellar, and it would go on to keep running to the maintain its popularity, eventually becoming the first Broadway musical in history to surpass 10,000 total performances. Another fun fact, in each show, about 400 pounds of dry ice is used to set the atmosphere for the underground Lake Grotto scene, meaning that in those first 10,000 performances, over 2,000 total tons of dry ice were used for production. 2,000 tons! And it's been staged over 13,000 times now by this point, making that total creep up even more to over 2,600 tons of dry ice used in the show and counting. 
and it does it holds the mark as the longest running musical on broadway by over 3500 performances so it's pretty far and away in the lead here and as performances now of course are suspended due to coronavirus i'd say that a worldwide pandemic is just about the only thing that's going to be able to boot this classic off of broadway stages our next question is question number nine which was, what famous landmark has a hand that is 14 feet long? And your correct answer is Big Ben. Big Ben has a hand that's 14 feet long, the famous clock tower, which is located at the north end of the Houses of Parliament in London, is technically named Elizabeth Tower. It was known as St. Stephen's Tower from the time it was completed in 1859 until 2012, when it was renamed to celebrate Elizabeth II's Diamond Jubilee, which honored her 60 years on the British throne. While the tower stands 320 feet tall and is an iconic image of London, we all seem to know it as Big Ben, which in reality only refers technically to the massive bell at the top of the tower. The bell, which weighs over 15 tons, rings every hour, while smaller quarter bells ring every 15 minutes. It was installed in 1859 along with the tower's other defining feature, its clock. The clock was designed by Edmund Beckett Dennison in association with Sir George Airy and clockmaker Edward Dent. The clock features a gravity escapement that allowed it to be unprecedentedly accurate for its time. It does need to be wound three times a week though, and each winding takes about an hour of time to complete. And this, of course, is where you would find the 14-foot-long hand um, that was uh, the topic of this trivia question. And the structure is undoubtedly a, a cultural symbol of the UK. I mean, just picture Big Ben looming in the distance as a red double-decker drives down the street. You can almost smell the fish and chips, maybe even paired with a gin and tonic like we talked about earlier. All right, and then our final trivia question of this week's podcast Question number 10 was, who was the first athlete to have their own animated cartoon series? And your correct answer is Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was the first to have his own cartoon series. It was entitled, I Am the Greatest, The Adventures of Muhammad Ali. And the show featured a cartooned Ali and his adventures with his niece Nikki and his nephew Damon. The show debuted on September 10th, 1977 on NBC. Reviews of the cartoon were generally negative, as it turns out Muhammad Ali wasn't nearly as good of a voice actor as he was a boxer, and the plots, writing, and animations were eh, not, not really the best. The, the show survived 13 episodes, with the final episode airing on December 3rd of that same year. The show was produced by Fred Calvert's independent production company called Farmhouse Films. And the last thing I'll tell you here is a funny story that I actually grabbed off of IMDb. So in the final episode called Terror in the Deep, um, the, the setting for the show was a nuclear submarine. The show was almost entirely, the entire episode was on this submarine. And Calvert, the producer, wanted the sound of a submarine humming in the background. So... Sound effects editor Robert V. Green called the Navy, who told him that actually nuclear submarines don't make any noise, so his uh, producer's wishes aren't exactly something that he can realistically fulfill, but um, 
he wanted to uh, project those noises uh, nonetheless. So what he did is he placed a microphone inside of an old IBM electric typewriter, and he recorded all the different whirs and clicks that the typewriter made. And the next day, the producers loved it and asked where he got it. And you know what he told him? He said that some guys in the Navy in San Diego had sent him a tape of a nuclear submarine. So uh, <laughs> you can actually go back and I think uh, all, pretty much all the episodes are on YouTube. You can kind of look up the tear in the deep and you can hear um, the noise of the quote unquote nuclear submarine, which was actually an electric typewriter. So yeah, that's just a, a fun little tidbit of <laughs> history behind the unsuccessful cartoon and like I said, you can find full episodes of I Am the Greatest, The Adventures of Muhammad Ali online if you're curious and want to uh, check them out. All right, so now that brings us to the end of our show. If you have made it this far, I thank you for hanging out with me, and I hope that you were able to learn a little bit. If you enjoyed the show, uh, it would be really helpful if you could review, like, subscribe, follow, and do any of that. Any feedback from you guys is huge and really helps us to take this podcast to the next level. Um, in addition, you can follow ThinkCap on Instagram at T-H-I-N-K-K-A-P or follow on Facebook with the same name. Um, there are going to be links to every streaming platform where the show is available. In addition to fun content that I post every couple of days, uh, there's um, Did You Know Fun Facts. There will be um, On This Day Historical information along with uh trivia quizzes those kind of things so you can follow follow along on there to stay up to date with all things think cap in addition i do always love to hear what you guys want to learn so if you have any fun trivia facts or you want questions pertaining to a certain topic please leave that in your feedback or feel free to comment on any of think cap social media posts or direct message me directly um i love to incorporate questions that you guys have and I haven't done it in a couple episodes, but I always like starting off every episode with a fan-generated question. So get those questions in to me, and I would love to feature them in a future episode. So um, once again, I thank you for listening. I will catch you next week, and take care. Oh,